The plant-based meat sector's closest analogy is electric cars. We could have, as a society, just decided we're going to eat crappy plant-based chicken nuggets that don't taste like food to save the planet. That just wasn't enough for us. Just like we kind of needed the Tesla, a faster, better car that also happens to be electric. What's up? Welcome to Same Same But Tech, a podcast where we explain how technology is driving culture into the future. One analogy at a time. I'm Mohan, and today is all about food. We love food, don't we? Everybody's got to eat. And not only that, we care about our food. We want to know where it comes from. How is it sourced? Did it have a good childhood? Plenty of extracurriculars? You know, farm to table? Well, these days, it's more delivery to doorstep. Either way, it's still food. And in this episode of Same Same, we're going to take a look at our culinary future. We won't have to gaze inside a magic eight ball to do that because our future of food is already here. And my dear listeners, it's a revolution. You probably already know where I'm going with this. The future of food is, well, a bit greener. What? It's more plant-y. Yeah? Almost like based on plants and grown in a lab. What I'm trying to say is that the future of food is plant-based and lab-grown. Aha! But seriously, the last few years have been huge for plant-based upstarts like Impossible Foods and Beyond Meat. They went from food truck out back at the tech conference to the aisles of a Whole Foods near you. And as someone who's eaten plenty of Boca Burger as a nearly lifelong vegetarian, this is the most exciting thing about these new plant-based burger patties is that they actually taste like real cow's meat. Or so I'm told. It gets even better. The tech driving these new non-meats is completely changing how we think about the idea of, air quotes, meat. And the way we think about food production altogether. Not only that, but what started as an explosion of foodie innovation might actually just solve climate change. In this episode, we're going behind the music to tell the story of how a little no-name plant-based burger company went national with a little help from the Burger King. It's literally a whopper of an episode, all the way from the test kitchen to your ears. Let's go. To set the scene, it's 2015. Maybe you're listening to a golden oldie called Hotline Bling. Maybe you're desperately awaiting the next Game of Thrones season. Maybe you're trying to sell plant-based burgers like Dana Worth. At the time, Dana was the only employee at Impossible Foods who was not a scientist. So back in uh, 2015, uh, we had uh, the beginnings of the product that would, that would become the Impossible Burger. It had been tested in our, uh, in our offices. We'd have had some investors who'd tasted it, but really we hadn't gotten it in front of consumers in a major way. Um, so we had to think about how to take this to market. The way we thought about that was trying to answer the question of where do we think consumers are today? That very simple question, uh, it sounds simple. It took us months of thinking and kind of ideating around this. 
You know the feeling. You've spent hours, days, weeks on an idea so crazy, so futuristic, and so ludicrous. Even your dog is looking at you with some side eye. But you know it's going to work. Now you just have to convince, well, everyone else. How the hell are you going to convince people to eat plant-based burgers? People love burgers. Burgers are American. Burgers are freedom. Do you hate freedom? No, you love it. But what on earth are plant-based burgers? We ask two OG experts in the world of plant-based food, our dear friends, Poe and Arvind. Hi, I'm Poe Bronson. I'm the managing director of IndieBio and general partner at the venture firm SOSV, and as well, co-author with Arvind Gupta of a book called Decoding the World. I am Arvind Gupta. I am the uh, co-lead of the engineering biology practice at Mayfield. Uh, I am the founder of IndieBio, and I am now a venture advisor um, to IndieBio, and I'm also the co-author of Decoding the World with Bo Bronson. IndieBio is a startup and technology accelerator focused on backing entrepreneurs and scientists that are inventing the future of biology, including plant-based food. Now, of course, what the heck is plant-based food? Am I talking about carrots and broccoli and celery? No, not quite. But how about we explain it with an analogy? Poe? The plant-based meat sector's closest analogy is electric cars. And while as electric cars have come along and everyone's known, we need to save the climate at some point here, but we don't want to drive around in a crappy, junky, slow vehicle either. In the food sector, where everyday consumers were like, what can I do about climate change? What can I do? I could maybe buy an electric car, but I don't need a car, but I eat three times a day. And by making this choice three times a day in what we consume, we could actually have a personal small impact on our planet. And we could have, as a society, just decided we're going to eat crappy plant-based chicken nuggets that don't taste like food to save the planet. That just wasn't enough for us. Just like we kind of needed the Tesla, a faster, better car that also happens to be electric. Right. Better meat, super meat. And so talk to me, to get a little bit on the technical side, what is plant-based meat? Like, actually, what is this stuff? What am I eating? Soybean is what plant-based meat mostly is. And things that are a lot like soybean, yellow pea, mung bean, or basically, it's a bean burger. It's just been transformed using a number of layers of technology to make it more meat-like. But bean burgers aren't that special. Like, I've been having bean burgers my entire life, and let me tell you... Ew! Right. So, how do we go from bean burgers to mainstream plant-based food? Uh, There was a wide number of new technologies kind of coming. The Impossible Burger of 2030 uh, will be very different than we're eating today. Love it when my guests make my transitions for me. Let's talk about Impossible. If you're a vegetarian, a vegan, or even just a little bit plant curious, you've probably heard of Impossible Foods, a David and Goliath tale wrapped in a plant-based origin story. So we ended up zeroing in on uh, this idea of targeting some um, very meat-forward chefs. 
In the very early days, I spent a lot of time in the back of uh, kitchens, uh, getting yelled at various points, uh, trying to trying to, trying to pitch chefs that this uh, plant-based burger thing back in 2015 was a good idea. Imagine walking into a hot, loud, stressful kitchen, famous big deal kitchens in the middle of the dinner rush and trying to sell them something. These were people who loved meat. They were meat connoisseurs. Now imagine if that something was, well, fake meat? What's that meaning like? Are you taking that and cooking it for them on the spot? It is sales in the most kind of visceral way, right? You walk into this kitchen, uh, you hope that it's when they're not busy, but sometimes, you know, it, it, they are busy trying to do a dinner service. And uh, if any of your listeners have ever worked in kitchens or, or been in kitchens, they're pretty, um, not all of them, but many of them are pretty chaotic places. You walk in and you've got, I'd say within the first five to 10 seconds, you know whether this is going to be a good meeting or not. First thing you got to do is convince this person that this is not just some crazy veggie burger from, from San Francisco and that they should put it on their grill. Like there were people we walked in and they, they wouldn't even let us put it on the grill. There were a few who uh, told me to go back to California and get my hippie burger out of their kitchen. They've got to have the patience to let the thing actually cook and taste it. Um, usually once we got them to taste it, we were in the clear. Usually they brought in somebody from the front of house. They brought in their sommelier. They brought in their um, the host. They brought in uh, one of the servers and would blind would blind serve it to them. This was like chef's favorite thing was... Here's, you know, here, taste this. What do you think? What do you think? Tell me what you think. If the first person to try it said, no, it's good, everybody else in the kitchen would kind of come along. If the first person to try it said, what the heck is this? Uh, you, were, you were usually dead in the water. Success. Hold for applause. So once you got those first few test kitchen moments, what was the next step? What caused that snowball effect? So at the very beginning, it was one restaurant in New York, right? We only had one restaurant for three months. We were in just Momofuku. Then we launched with, with three restaurants in, in uh, San Francisco and LA. And each, you know, it was, it was shoe leather to try to bring each new one on. That was late 2016. As we moved into 2017, uh, we were able to bring on some burger chains. So that's when we brought on Hot Dottie, when we brought on Bear Burger in New York, we brought on Umami Burger down in Southern California. Uh, those were great because, you know, with one decision maker, you could pick up you know, 10, 15, 20 restaurants at a time. Ladies and gentlemen, the Impossible Burger has left the laboratory. We've got juicy plant burgers and they're getting some pickup. It's fast, it's casual, but where's the earth saving? Industry shattering, game-changing, tasty revolution? It's one thing to see a fancy new plant-based burger at your vegan brunch spot, but come on, most revolutions do not start at brunch. Maybe they will one day. Let's check in with Poe and Arvin for the sideline hot take. Talk to me a little bit about ad adoption. The plant-based meat market right now is pretty, it's getting pretty big. I mean, it's the biggest it's, it's ever been for sure. What was that tipping point? What caused that adoption? And talk to me a little bit about, you know, was it the food industry? Was it, did, did chefs play a part in this? Yeah, you know, it's two things intersecting as they always are. One was the idea that climate change is very real and upon us and action is needed. And the second is a product that tasted better than prior ones that people could vote with their dollars to purchase. As a consumer, I may want to do something about climate change. How could I do anything about climate change? You can buy food. And so prior 
to Beyond Meat, most veggie burger, the Boca burger, right? Like there's what was what was prior to Beyond Meat? Like think about it. It's it it's it was Morning Star Boca. <laughs> I was I grew up on these things. There there you go. And and it was catering to a limited audience that didn't demand something else. Um, because it was it was in essence a captive audience. But the second that flexitarians came in, people went, oh, you know what? I'll I could now trade in and out of plant-based and um and animal-based. Well, to capture that market, you just have to make something that tastes better that makes them go, well, if I can't taste the difference, of course I'm gonna do the thing that's I'm gonna vote with my dollars on climate change. And that was really the tipping point. But there's definitely been a shift. Was there some breakthrough that you saw in, in kind of in that technology or in this field that really was like, okay, we cracked some part of the code that has really given us a step function improvement in playing chess with the master? I remember tasting Beyond Meat's chicken product in maybe 2009, 2000, yeah, 2009. And I was like, this doesn't taste much better than a Boca burger or anything. I don't get it. But but I could see the dream. And then when Impossible came along saying, we're going to be doing the hemoglobin, the soy hemoglobin, I was like, oh, I'm so excited to taste that. And then being here in San Francisco, you know, there was this great sense of forward-looking and anticipation. And the iPhone, oddly, had taught us to look forward in time. Like, maybe my iPhone isn't that good, but it's going to get better every year. And so we could bring that mental template from what we had in our pocket to our food. And we could see, okay, it's not great, but it's going to get better every year and it's going to be there. And that was a new idea in food, to judge food by how it would iterate over time rather than just where it is today. Judging our food by how it iterates over time, building better and better prototypes. Before your mind goes to the Terminator taking over our innocent organic produce, remember that humans and animals have been iterating for Thousands of years via the babies. We pass down genes. They mutate. We get taller over time. Lose our hunter-gatherer edge. Normal stuff. But what's mind-blowing about this idea of iterating plant-based food is that now you also convince someone that not only can a veggie burger get bloodier, juicier, just better over time, they're guaranteeing it through science. Food Update version 2.0 is now ready for download. And Dana and the team were getting more and more traction. Time to take the Impossible Burger to the big leagues. So Dana, you were saying about you, you got to a point where you guys were getting to get some of the smaller chains on. Where When do your crosshairs get on a national chain like Burger King? In late 2018, we, uh, we got in touch with some folks at Burger King. Uh, and at this point, it was... You know, plant-based was becoming a little bit more um, well-known. Pause for effect here. Burger King? They're one of the most recognizable fast food brands on the planet. They know how to move products at a massive scale. And Impossible wants to take the meat out from their patty. The one ingredient that's central to their menu. I mean, the Whopper is one of the most recognizable words in the world. Tinkerer beware. I'd like to think I'm right on that stat, but like, go ahead, fact check me. We'll wait. Good to go? Cool. Let's do it. That's what they do. They're used to rolling out new products. And so the opportunity we saw with Burger King was to take all the, the assets they bring to the table and then 
you put our product through that system. Things really move really quickly once once we got talking. Their headquarters are in Miami. They asked us to come down to Miami with with samples of the product. Um, we we got them a bunch of samples. They cooked it out in their test kitchen there. Wait, 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 wait a minute. This whole process sounds kind of hilarious. Testing a plant-based burger in Burger King's kitchen, trying to convince the company that invented the Whopper to have it their way, but it's actually your way on their hollowed grounds. <laughs> have you gone too far, sir? Seriously, though, how did you set out to even do that? Did a lot of trips between San Francisco and Miami uh, over those those months. We would fly with these gigantic suitcases um, full of uh, full of frozen burgers. So those are your those are your carry ons in the airport in the airplane. Yeah, we well we would check them. these are like enormous. You know, imagine you're going away for months type suitcase, and it was just filled with with frozen burgers. Sometimes we'd hand carry the stuff onto onto planes as well. Quite a few TSA agents who were um, very surprised to open up our bags and find them full of of beef. Oh no, officer, excuse me. Nothing to worry about here. This is just my parcel of fake meat. Well, plant-based really. It's, you know, like for a friend. And uh, the next morning show up at Burger King HQ and, um, and you know, open up the suitcases. Uh, they have in their test kitchen, they have the equipment that emulates the stores. So, you know, you run through, you run it through the kind of the, the ringer, you know, to, to, uh, emulate as much as close as possible what the store environment would be like, and you know you can cook off hundreds of of samples uh, in trying to get it just right. Dana and the team were tinkering with every edy beady piece of the minutia from the freezer to the drive-through. How is it packaged? When is how is it defrosted? How is it cooked? How is it held? How is it packaged for the consumer? Is that too dry? Is it too moist? How does it? Uh, how is it after it's been sitting for 15 minutes? How is it after it's been sitting for 20 minutes? All the different uh, ways that your food might show up uh, to a, to an end consumer. Their fake burger collaboration was almost perfect, save for one crucial remaining factor. Is anyone actually going to buy it? Impossible and Burger King set out to test their creation on a local market. You want a plant-based burger revolution, you say? It's going to change the way we eat forever, you say? Oh, yeah. All well and good, but first you got to convert some carnivores. So we decided on St. Louis. Um, it's a pretty uh, demographically representative uh, city. So it, it tends to uh, bode well for the future of, of products across the U.S. There's about 70 Burger Kings there. A week or two into the test in St. Louis when we started to see the data come back from that. And we started to see the sales that we were getting in St. Louis. So what we what we were excited to see was that the consumer was interested. It was the first time any plant-based burger had been in a burger QSR uh, of this, this kind of new wave of plant-based burgers. And I remember thinking, there's only 10 people in the world right now who know that this thing could work. Given the importance of our product, I believe, to the world, like the, the importance that we can move from an animal-based food system to a plant-based food system going forward, I felt like I was wit- witnessing the beginning of a of a you know, monumental shift. Son of a gigabyte, they did it. And believe me when I tell you, I'm going to regret saying this, but they just pulled off the impossible. <laughs> Dana faced down the meat Goliath and got results. Real data showing that a plant-based burger can hold its own at a household name like Burger King. 
Those lucky test customers were helping to make the planet the teeniest bit more sustainable without even realizing it. Plant-based guinea pigs. Let's all go find a tree and just put our arms around it and hug it and squeeze it in celebration. This is great. Now, one thing you might be thinking, it's still fast food. Should we really want to be eating an Impossible Whopper or any other kind of fast food item, plant-based or not? Doesn't that defeat the purpose of making a healthier meat? Let's get back to our homies Arvind and Poe for a reality check. So nutrition was one of the points. I have a dad who always says, is that even good for you? It's like, so is it, right? Is, is there a nutritional argument or is it, especially as we try to get closer to parity and taste? You know, there's plenty of long-term advice that plant-based diets are super good for people. There's never a question about that. It is a question of how much sugar comes along with it. So plants as vegetables are healthy. Beans are uniformly good for you. Um, but to make it, they also have proteins in them that are bitter or astringent. And to balance out that flavor, they're often adding sugars and carbohydrates to make it a more neutral flavor. And that's where plant-based foods are starting to have a question is exactly how healthy they are for you right now, though that is being solved over time. In the, again, in the long run, taste and nutrition are going to drive everything. Being sustainable will be table stakes. So that is going to be the playing field. With that in mind, how do you get to the best tasting, most nutritious food possible? And that's going to require fundamentally going back to the science of nutrition. I think that's a longer and deeper conversation, but when nutrition in food is understood, and solved for, I think that changes medicine, it changes healthcare, and it changes society. We're at a crucial moment in time. The culinary world as we know it has been altered and swapped, extruded and tweaked, and nutritional science and, well, the concept of food itself may never be the same, which is a good thing. The tech driving this new era of food engineering are the vegetables we literally have to chow down on before we can have our dessert. But it's counterintuitive. We have to convince ourselves that eating meat substitutes is the way to go. Best way to do that? Trick our minds into thinking that it's real meat. And being successful at tricking our minds is exactly what Dana and the team at Impossible have accomplished with their Whopper. How does it feel to you personally, right? Like you're part of a change that is, I mean, yeah, it could be, it, it could change how we eat forever, right? I mean, it feels, it feels awesome. So something that seemed, you know, crazy, it seemed, you know, it was, it was like yell at, yell at me, get out of the kitchen crazy in 2016. Uh, it was crazy enough in 2019 when we, when we tested in St. Louis to make the front page of, of the New York Times business section is now almost mundane. No, no one bats an eye when, you know, McDonald's or Starbucks uh, makes these big announcements, which is exactly what we want. That's exactly what we want. You know, taking the, the crazy and making it, uh, making it pedestrian. There's 7 billion people who eat every day. As a capitalist, um, which I am, you know, every single person on the planet is a customer. And uh, if you want to build a big business, it's nice to have your total addressable market, <laughs> consumer market be every human uh, that's, that's alive. 
How do you feel about the competitors now that are popping up or have popped up? Our competitor is the cow. And I have no, I have no uh, ill will towards the cow. They're, they're wonderful. I hope they live happy lives, but they're not great at making meat uh, or at least doing so in a way that doesn't, doesn't damage the planet. So, you know, the way I think of it is we really, that is, that is the market. Like we're, we're less than 1% of the animal beef market in the United States, even with a, with, you know, a deal like Burger King. So we need to, we need to keep eating away at that market. We all recognize the problem, uh, which is the, the environmental catastrophe that, that animal farming causes. You know, of course, I want that person to choose an impossible burger, impossible product when they go out. But if they're not going to choose an impossible product, I want the thing they choose to be damn good. Because otherwise, they're out of the category forever. Or not forever, but for, for a while. And that does more damage to what we need to do. You know, we need to make serious progress on the climate crisis in the next decade. The mission is collective. What Dana and his peers are going for is the ultimate party trick. It's magic, really. We all know that we have to do something about global warming. But now you, yes, you don't have to give up on your love for meat to do it. We'll fake it for you. We can keep future generations alive and well on this floating rock with cheeseburgers in their hands. Poe and Arvin, do I have this right? Will eating these burgers actually save the planet? When we think of biotech, we think of biotech's there for when our life is on the line and we're about to die. Biotech isn't supposed to be there when we're hungry, but all of a sudden it was. The investment is based on climate change because that's the big market that is driving this entire trend. Instead of growing up a cow, slaughtering it, cutting it up into pieces and shipping it around the country, around the world, why not just grow the muscle itself in the location you're going to consume it? Cutting out all of those calories, cutting out all of that energy, um, all of that carbon from the footprint. And again, you start to reinvent and reimagine what our entire food supply chain looks like as you start to, uh, to use that framework for everything. What are your predictions looking 10, 20, 30, maybe even 50 years down? What's the, where do you see plant-based meat taking us? You know, we have, we've stated very publicly that our mission is to eliminate animals from the food system by 2035. So that's 14 years from now. Um, so, and I, and I think we can do it. It's kind of like peak oil, right? People talk about kind of the end of, end of oil, um, and the move to renewables. You don't actually need to get to the last drop of oil being extracted from the ground. You actually just need to get to a place where there's a line of sight that the reasonable kind of incremental customer or investor can see that this is where things are going. So, you know, I don't think we need to get to the last cow or pig or fish uh, being turned into meat. And we only need to get to a place where we've demonstrated that the innovation dollars, the people, the talent, all, you know, all the things that make the system go uh, move over to, to our vision of the future. I think what's going to happen is, and, and one of our founders um, from Endless West said this, the best, Alec Lee. And he said, the future, uh, the future of food is not organic. It's synthetic. And this idea of understanding nutrition in a true sense of the word and understanding food as something that we consume for both enjoyment, um, you know, sustenance, and social 
uh, and society reasons, the intersection of all of those things can become designed, like truly designed. That experience could be designed. You can take the same nutrients as you would from a pill, uh, as you as in an entire meal. And sometimes you'd want the pill, and sometimes you'd want the entire meal. People will start thinking about food as a social and health benefit rather than just what's for dinner. The thing about it that's interesting to me is food is memory and food is culture. I believe that the future is very simple. We will go out to eat and we will not even be talking about where the food comes from. We won't see it's a miracle. We won't think it's wild. We'll just talk about the weather or politics or sports and we'll be eating lab-grown food or combination of lab-grown hybrids with plant-based proteins and fermented things in it that tastes fantastic, and we won't even think about it. There it is. Our grandkids will marvel at the fact that we once ate real live cows. Just let that sink in. Seriously, the global meat trade may become a distant memory, stripped down to its amino acids and fatty molecules as we remake the food sector in a lean, mean, and most importantly, green fashion. The tech behind plant-based meat is incredible, and it's only going to improve over time, but that's only half the battle. See, plant-based food is so mind-blowing because of what people like Dana and products like the Impossible Whopper were able to do psychologically. We've been searching for food for eons, finding new ways to grow, kill, and cook our vitals. And it's taken a toll on our climate. But damn if it didn't taste amazing along the way. After all, the American dream has always felt medium rare with some ketchup, mustard, and a side of curly fries. The burger is an American icon. But rejoice, fam. No need to break an addiction to red-blooded fatty tissues if we can recreate exactly what that tastes like and soon and at scale. When has that happened before with something literally everyone does several times a day? We've been conditioned for decades to think that our meat can only be meat and that it has to come from huge processing plants. And that's our bad. Turns out we can actually redirect our instinctual habits and green up the food production industry all without giving up something we love to eat. We just have to fake it till we make it. Have it your way. This revolution delivers. And so next time I treat myself to a home-delivered meal, plant-based burgers are literally on the menu, which is an absolute win. The atmospheres win. The earths win. But I'll opt out of the plasticware. Trying to save the planet over here. You feel me? Today's episode was hosted by me, Mohan M. Zanuzi, produced by Kareen Javier and Lee Schneider, written by Ibrahim Balki, exec produced by Steph Wolf, music by Uvra. <laughs> Thank you to our dear friends, Dana, Poe, and Arvind. You can find more Same Same on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your ear candy. Thanks for listening. 
spread love. This episode was brought to you in part by BCG Digital Ventures. BCG DV builds revolutionary new businesses with the world's most influential corporations. Learn more at bcgdv.com.